at this stage of the retreats, which is nearing towards its end. Tomorrow will be the last full day already. It feels like we've been here for a long time. (laughs) And yet it starts to go very quickly as it starts to end. But I feel such a deep sense of appreciation for everything, um, for this beautiful space that we've mentioned and touched into over the retreat and all that's gone into building this and bringing this about. Everyone's contributions, everyone's dana, generosity and service. And I feel a great appreciation for all of the support that we've received through this retreat from the kitchen crew that's been stupendous. This extraordinary levels of nourishment that we've been offered. Every day, can we take those cooks home with us? (laughs) Beautiful meals, beautifully balanced and beautifully presented and so delicious. But not overly delicious that, you know, Well, it is a little hard to stop. (laughs) It is overly delicious, but anyhow, that's a treat. Um, And for the managers, uh, you know, do so much in the background and all of the people helping keep everything on track. So great appreciation and deep appreciation for every one of you here, um, for your practice that you've been sharing with us over these few days in our meetings and just how much nourishment it is for us to hear um, how you're using the teachings and what you're working with, even if it's challenging. Um, The openings, the uh, reflections, the authenticity, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just an honor to be able to be in connection in our human realm around things that are real um, and not just being social together in the ways that usually happen. And awesome appreciation for our team. We've had a lot of fun uh, together. Um, It's been really lovely working together um, and sharing this platform and hearing everyone's contributions and, uh, you know, weaving together this blanket that's sort of kind of keeping us all warm together and connected. So we've been in this lovely space, but it is going to start to change. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it is going to be important for us um, through from now until it ends, to really begin to consider how we can take some of what we're learning and doing and practicing and irrigate it into our lives. So it's not just about the retreat experience, but to see this is a particular training ground that we're in, but then we're going and graduating into the higher training very soon, Um, the place of challenge. When I, after my very first retreat, which I really 
didn't have much wise understanding of what I was doing. I just had this idea that you sat in meditation and you just did that. You just sat, 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 sat until you exploded (laughs) into bliss. But instead I've sort of descended into confusion and lots and lots of dukkha for a long, long time. But anyway, after my first retreat, I'd sort of pulled it together to have a few moments of peace. And I went back to my little commune student house I was living in and set up my cushion and sat and I was kind of quite determined to try and keep it all going. And after about 10 minutes, this ice cream van pulled out outside (laughs) of my house or the house that we were sharing, that we were renting together. And on and on it went. And so I'm sitting there. The next minute, I find myself out in front of the ice cream van guy saying, you know, he had to leave because he was disturbing my meditation. So... I went back quite a little bit righteous, a little bit, sat down on my cushion, and I sat there and I thought, I think I've got something wrong here. I think I haven't quite got the whole picture. I said, that doesn't make sense. So I had an inkling that I was lacking in what Ajahn Chah's transmission was all about, right view. You know, this is a transportable practice, that disturbance is the path. Well, it's not the whole path, thank God. (laughs) But we better make it part of our path to make it workable. He said this practice is preparation. You know, when we sit here, and sometimes it can feel a bit arduous, a bit boring, not much is happening, we're plodding through the motions of the practice or the chanting or the walking meditations. That all of this is a preparation, a gathering of capacity, a gathering of strength, a gathering of agility to be able to be with the changes of all that we're experiencing. And in particular, so this is preparation from where, for when the passions hit or when big things come and we can get overwhelmed and we can get activated. This is in great part also why we practice, so that we can maintain some mindfulness and not just completely lose the plot and evolve back into our patterns of of reactivity and generating a lot of suffering for ourselves and sometimes for others. And you know, it's this is the humble part of the path because you know we so often do forget and we do get overwhelmed and we do lose it. So this returning again and again, this beginner's mind. Remember that book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I mean, I didn't even get past the title. I thought the title was so good. You know, that basically sums up, you know, right view to some degree. You know, that if we think we're an expert, then it, it does become a little bit of a problem. You know, so that it's a humbling path. Because we, we're going to look again and again at such deep, intractable patterns and reactions. And we're going to be in those spells that we talked about through the retreat. 
And a spell's a spell. When you're in a spell, you're in a spell. You know, you're sort of in a trance. Um, you, you can't quite see that you've been hijacked somehow by some state until you kind of come around. So then you begin again and you breathe and you feel your body and you come back. And all of this is building this, this container um, within, within which we can contemplate our experience. So as we start to go out and as we start to move into our ceremony tomorrow, as we start to contemplate maybe what we'd like to take from this retreat, what's been important for us um, in this retreat, what we'd like to further, um, we have to understand that we're going into a fast-changing world, um, a world that is, has incre- an increased amount of intensity within it, we're in this, as Jung mentioned it last night, and we talked about it, in this multifaceted planetary crisis, um, which is manifesting in so many ways. Um, and we're experiencing that manifestation through the information we're receiving, the download of that every day, um, which is hard to actually be with. And some of you have written notes about that. In this retreat, we really wanted to hold a container so we could do the inner work. Um, because we're, for many of us and many of you, you're so much on the front lines already. Um, and even if you're not on the front line, it feels like one's on the front line. <laughs> you know, just managing the impact of what's happening to our planet. You know, this is uh, the whole premise of our civilization that's been generated and built over hundreds of years is founded on some very profound illusions and delusions um, and is rooted in some very profound acts of violence um, and lack of understanding And so all of this is bearing fruit at an alarming rate. The systems that our civilization has been built on, even though there have been many tremendous advances that we've made as human beings, extraordinary advances. But in that process, we've forgotten some very fundamental truths. The truth that we are dependent upon Mother Earth. You know, our whole life, our next breath, the food we eat, the water that we drink, um, every single day, we wouldn't be here without her gift, her gifts to us. And we've forgotten that those, her ability to regenerate herself is, is limited. There are patterns and there's rhythms and there's seasons And we've interfered a lot with that through our unfettered consumption and our lack of connection. And so we're now witnessing that we're now in a period where there's the culmination of the disconnection, profound 
shattering really of our links and our deep belonging within the web of life. You know, the way we find ourselves living in an unsustainable ways, um, where we are fast destroying our collective habitat. And all of this we're witnessing every single day. And uh, you know, because of the warming due to our civilization being an, rooted in an oil economy, fossil fuel economy, we're seeing these vast extreme weather patterns that are destabilizing the ability for societies and parts of the earth and increasingly everywhere to have some sense of stability. It's a very destabilizing situation. Um, alongside that, there's an increasing discrepancy between those that hold enormous amounts of wealth and power, tiny, tiny percent increasingly, and then the majority um, that is increasingly marginalized. Um, so it's very frightening political shifts that are happening in the world. Um, where it feels like there's, you know, the democracies that have been built are, are eroding at speed. So all of these systems that have that we have been uh, that underpinning this crisis, you know, sort of a sense of a hierarchy of power: who gets to have the most power, who gets marginalised, you know, and what those systems are built on. You know, so these are um, you know land, you know, and that the power seems to be in the hands seems to be in the hands of those that are psychopathically driven. You know, like a death cult almost. So it's terrifying actually. You know, and it can feel, it does feel often that one's up against an enormity, a sort of an enormous overwhelm of crises. as this sort of, this time we're in, as we see the crumbling of so much that we assumed would always be there. So this is Anicca on a very large scale. You know, we can talk about Anicca internally in the internal landscapes, changes of feelings and moods and sensations. But when we look outwardly and we see the enormity um, where to the extent that this sense of our continuity as a species and the continuity of a, ha a habitable planet is under threat, that's just something that's very hard to digest. I remember, you know, we, Kitty Sarah and I were quite involved in the late 1990s through to 2000 or so for about 10 years still involved actually, when the AIDS pandemic hit in KwaZulu-Natal in the part of rural South Africa where we'd been working and running this little retreat center and across the whole continent, across South Africa. And it was really, really, again, that same feeling of terror of people 
with no no medicine, no sense of um, how to stem the spread of this devastating virus. Um, there's a lot of panic, a lot of overwhelm. And then the government in response went into 10 years of denial as a sort of official strategy. And I think there's complex reasons why that came about. It's not the subject to look into tonight, but I was very, very contemplated a lot, this denial we have, this denial mechanism that we have as human beings. And how strange a culture gets, how sort of gaslighted a culture can get, um, and how weird it gets when the obvious is happening and then it's denied. And yet we all have healthy chunks of denial and perhaps that helps us survive. But that denial is being ripped away at speed and we're being forced and having to, as one meditation teacher said, to be really realistic. This is the art of meditation. This is the business we're in in the Dharma. The Buddha himself, that's what woke him up. You know, seeing the heavenly messengers of the decay and death of the human body. As Kitty Saro said the other evening, you know, the vanity of youth, the vanity of life, the vanity of permanence left. And in a certain way, we're looking at that at, on a large scale. This is a Deva Dutta. So there's a tremendous sickness, there's a tremendous wake-up call, there's a tremendous reality check, and yet within that, there's an invitation. There's an invitation to us as human beings now at this time. We're invited to wake up, to get more real. So I'd just like to reflect a bit around that as we take this journey and become more real and engage and contemplate how can we be in this fast dismembering world. As the things that we felt, you know, I just for example, here in Sonoma County, just up the road, where Kirisar and I live, we had all the fires now. We've been there three years and every year, each year we've sort of been on high alert as to whether our place would burn down. We've been lucky so far that many, many people lost not only their homes but their lives. And this is definitely not just going to be you know, an occasional affair, this is now part of our new reality. And then after that, this year, I saw that one large insurance company wrote 300,000 letters <laughs> to people living in the area saying after this end of year, we're withdrawing your insurance policies. So this is our new reality. There's there, we're, that which is underwriting, the idea that we have some stable continuity is disappearing. And that could, you know, when the forms, if we don't really have a refuge, last night, Yong talked so beautifully about the power of the refuge. And in some, some way, it can sound a bit sort of theoretical until you really are on the line. And then where do you put your mind? Where do we go? Where do we, so this is the practice, this is the preparation. This refuge. Because sometimes when the forms change, we feel we're changing too. You know, we're dying too, we're destabilized too. 
that the refuge is a place where we can gather some real solid ground, some real sense of staying steady in the middle of small and vast changes. So training the mind when panic or terror or upset hits to know where to put the mind. I remember Kitty Sara and I one night, you know, as we've talked about, we've, you know, worked since 25 years in South Southern Africa um, in a time when, when it went through and is still going through enormous changes, of course, but there's an affect from the colonial and apartheid history which was very traumatizing and very difficult um, and rippled through the society in so many ways. And so we're working, in the Dharma, one's working at depth, really, and opening oneself. And then, as, we just, as I just said, we were in the heart of one of the hot spots of the, the pandemic, working in the rural areas and trying to launch projects and responses. And, and so there was a lot of, you know, a lot to be with. And so, you know, we did a lot of the practices that we're sharing with you were, were ways of really helping us steady. The, the Guan Yin mantra, the Great Compassion mantra, the ceremony we're going to offer tomorrow, the, the practices of mindfulness, the, the retreat practices, the you know, holding these as very central. But occasionally it was just a little too much and we decided to go to a movie or take a break. And Kisara mentioned about we go to the beach, which is beautiful. The, the one thing about that landscape, the landscapes there, they're so, it's such a beautiful country. Everywhere you go, it's just, it's just the mother nature is very dominant and stunning. So one night we were just like, oh, this has been such a difficult week. Let's go to the movies. Well, it's not like where we are now in Sebastopol where we just sort of point the car and it's like five miles down the road. You just basically just wheel down the road and you've got Whole Foods, you've got the cafe, you've got, you know, the movie. And it's all very cool, you know, for a night out. Grab a bit of food on the way home. You know, to go to the movie from where we were in KwaZulu-Natal was a, was a bit of an endeavor. It's, you know, it's at least two hours. We go... <laughs> We go through. We went. We'd go through the, the 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 lands of the Zulu community, which is not that easy if you break down in the middle of that at night. You know, so there's a kind of an edge around that, and uh, you know, there's cattle on the road and horses, and you know, you have to be very careful how you drive potholes. We had a a, a month long retreat, and some people here. <laughs> were there this year and they were picked up and brought from Durban airport to the three hour drive and then the mist came, the rains came and and then they then we had like these calls, three car two cars had their wheels blown out in potholes. So, you know, all of that is just daily fare, the daily round of what one deals with and goes anyway, so we were driving this night. We so we start a beautiful sunny evening go down and see this, probably a crap movie. Doesn't matter, anything will do. So we're driving and then suddenly we get, we'd get these huge rainstorms. This rain came and then the mist from the heat and we're in this fog. And so we just slow down, slow down. 
you know, 20 miles an hour, and then we're behind a a, uh, a big logging truck. And I just like, oh God, you know, we're going to get be late, and this was a bad idea, but we're an hour already into it, so stay with it, stay with it. And at a certain point, Kitty Sarah's driving, and he's like, you know, pulling out to see, to see, to see, and then pull out, and we look, and yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so we start, he starts hurtling alongside this truck, which turns out to be a bit longer than we thought. <laughs> and then suddenly these headlights appear coming at us. And my body just said it's finished. It, and, and, and I, you know, I have to confess I completely lost mindfulness. My body went to jelly and I was freaked. I just, you know, and Kitty Saro, who's very, very good in extreme situations. <laughs> We've been in a few of them. He just turned to me and he went, pray. And I tell you, that's when you know why you're doing the Guan Yin Mantra now. <laughs> and then he just put his foot on the accelerator, which was good, because I probably hit the brake and it would have been curtains. And then we just got through and we carried on. And we were going like, and I was like praying, praying, praying. I was like, oh, thank you, Kuan Yin. Thank you, Kuan Yin. So then we were like talking uh, about, you know, crashes and this and that and wow this was a close escape and and then as we slow down to get on the freeway this car comes off the freeway doesn't break and smashes into us no one was hurt but the curious thing it sort of felt like there was some momentum around this crash energy and it you know master wa said with practice disasters turn to smaller things what would have been a big thing turns to a smaller thing. And it felt like, you know, in, in, that it turned to something more manageable, a crunched up car that's more manageable. And then we got to the cinema. <laughs> and I have no, I was like completely like, we, I just, we're determined now to still to go to the movie. <laughs> and then I say to Kitty Sarah, I'm not getting in a car ever again in South Africa. So he says, well, how are we going to get home? I said, I don't know, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> so anyway, he kind of said, we've got to do it. Okay, we'll do it. So anyway, we got home. But then for months, I wouldn't, you know, and then it got ridiculous because, you know, it's like you can't, you know, there was things that we actually had to do. And then one night, I had this dream and it was just like, the, I, I think all the fear that was in the country, all of the violence, there, there was a lot of violence. It's, there was a lot of, there was a low-grade war going on. Um, you know, so it was, I mean, we'd been in a monastery where, you know, to raise an eyebrow was an act of violence, you know. Like, so to, to be in the depths of a, you know, this, this country at this time. So, I, so all this all came up and I was not in a good state. And we were committed to try and help this center we were working at. And then one night I had this dream. Um, it was quite profound. I dreamt this African woman, like a, you know, dressed in traditional clothing, came. And she was very, it was very real, very strong. And she just took me by the hand and she was leading me down this off the beaten path, down this dirt track. And so I grabbed Kitty Sara along with me in the dream. 
And then she stood in front and she just gave me this mantra. And then milk came from her breasts. And it came in my mouth. And I felt myself like I was just sort of suffocating. And she communicated, relax. Just relax. And it came through me and went to him. And I knew that she was healing and welcoming and blessing. And then the dream broke. And I, it was the middle of the night. I jumped up and I looked for her because it was like she was really there. And then I realized, you know, and I, and I felt into what was that, because it stayed with me such a long time. I felt I'd been welcomed into the land there. That the spirit had come and said, you'll be all right. And I, and I, I noticed that I really relaxed after that. I just felt, I just, that this is fear. And my mindfulness practice, you just know this is fear. And then you have to trust. And I had to trust the Dharma. You know, there's a response, the way and the response, as it says in the Kuan Yin Dharmas, are intertwined inconceivably. When you practice the Dharma, there's mysterious and magical responses that come about. You don't know when, you don't know why, you don't know how, but they come when you need them. I'm glad that happened because we went on then for another years to work there and began to really learn to digest what feels overwhelming, what feels unmanageable with the practice of just knowing the feeling in the feeling, trusting, working with the Dharma. You start to notice a certain way along the, the road that you're able to sustain more strength, more capacity, to stay with what would have, would have actually undermined and crashed one's whole system. So this resilience, one of the things that the Dharma can really bring us and that we really need in these times as we go out into this really fast-changing and difficult world that we're in now, we're going to need resilience. We're going to need not to freak out at every small thing. You know, if you're a little bit upset or someone does something or we're going to have to kind of grow up somehow and not just, you know, every little tweak to get, stay comfortable to learn to, as Ajahn Chah would teach, Utong, you call it, it's like a patient endurance, you know, the monastic training, a lot of it was about learning to be more patient and to endure, not to endure and like I'm just sort of suffering, but to know some things you can't just push through, some things you can't just fix, some things you can't, you can do all the practices you want, and some things you just have to hang there, wait there, and not create more suffering around it. I was noticing this morning when I was sitting, it was a little chilly, and my mind started to whinge, you know. I was like, you know, it's a little cold and I need my jacket. And, and after a while I said, I can't believe you, Tanisra. I have these conversations with myself. I can't believe you, Tanisra. You've got another 10 minutes to sit and it's a little bit chilly. You know, like just kind of buck up. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> so in the Bodhisattva path, we were in training in bodhisattva training, you know, we begin, our motivation starts to deepen. We begin our practice often just to 
to have a little bit more pleasant experience, to gain some skills, to be a bit more mindful, to reduce stress and so on. And that's a good place to begin. And then as we realize when we enter a path of practice that we're going to have to negotiate the shadow or suffering, shadow in the union terms, the places in ourselves that we don't really want to meet, that have sort of locked away, the rage, the fear, these difficult feelings, to work through the healing journey that suffering brings, that trauma has brought about. You know, these are very profound journeys and then we have to have the stamina to realize this is actually part of our human journey. Um, And then when we can actually enter that in a more accepting and willing way, it's going to be easier than just staying on the surface and committing ourselves to a life of distraction. And we'll mature as a human being as we enter the journey of through, through pain, through suffering, through the shadow. But then even more deeply, that's still around you know, our processes, but even more deeply in the Bodhisattva, there is the, the vow, the intention to use our practice, as the Buddha said, go forth to his disciples in all directions for the welfare of the many folk, for the welfare of all beings, to alleviate suffering. Not only to alleviate it, through our work through consciousness and awareness, but to alleviate it through action, you know, through doing. This is right action, as the Buddha did. And to do that, you know, for in these times, when I contemplate, you know, how, how do we do this? Um, in terms of this work and its support of how we do this, we free ourselves. We're freeing, this, this practice we're doing is freeing, freeing the body from old, and the mind from the old stories that we carry. We all have these very old stories. We have in our human consciousness, you know, on a planetary level, we have these very old stories. And it's not to say we don't honor the stories or see the depth of the wounding or aren't educated in our histories, the histories of oppression, which are really profound, and upon which many of the entitlements and benefits of our lives rest and continue to. It's not an avoidance of the old stories, but how they operate in our energy body as the experience of of fear, of the experience of lack of worth, of the experience of feeling inwardly oppressed. You know, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. You know, that all of those voices that keep us diminished, that we're working to liberate those beings, those conditionings, those wrong beliefs about who we are and what we are as human beings. As the Kogi people, as the First Nation peoples of the Colombia and the high mountains, the Sierra Nevada mountains, the Sierra Mata mountains in Colombia, these were peoples that were living a still a life 
It was a life from pre-Columbian times. It weren't colonized, able to escape. They were so high in the mountains. And then they made a had a, a documentary made by the BBC in 1991, I think it was. Message from the older brother to the younger brother. They're the older brother. Message to us lot. You're screwing it up. <laughs> you know, change your ways. We see what you're doing. We're seeing it because we see Mother Nature changing. We didn't really get that message, so they came out recently with another message called another documentary, and they actually left their village to travel to London. They even traveled to Google down the road to give the message, and they created another documentary called Aluna, which is what they call the spirit of Mother Earth. She has a spirit. She has an intelligence. She, the human consciousness isn't the only player in town. You know, there's an older consciousness here, four and a half billion years or more, whatever. There's an ancient consciousness here. And she's a player. And they were, they were saying, you know, that this human, our, our job as human beings is to be a conduit for that intelligence, to work with her, you know, to help repair the lines, the threads that we've broken. They talk about how these, there's a web of threads, we can't see them, where all of nature communicates together. We're in that web, actually, we just don't hear it because we're so busy in our busyness. You know, but this is a sacred thread, uh, an ensouled world. So what happens in a sacred site in one area affects what happens many miles away in another area, and then we go sort of put a nuclear plant on that or something, and break the connection. So we've broken so many connections that we have a lot of repairing to do. Baba Mandaza, who's um, a beautiful elder in Zimbabwe that is part of our um, guide, one of our primary guides, or our primary guide for Dhammagiri now. He's um, born what they call a Shivkiro in Shona, which is his um, native tongue. It's a carrier of earth and water spirits. And a Mondoro, which means a carrier of the line spirits. He's one who is in constant prayer on behalf of others and is guided by visions and dreams and makes offerings to Mother Nature and is a voice on her behalf. He's a traditional African healer and is a man of peace. So um, Baba Mandaz, I did an interview with him earlier in the year. We went to visit him at his homestead in Zimbabwe and he has, uh, you know, it's a country that's been deconstructed. Yeah, had the, there's no real viable currency. There's no real gasoline queues for three days to get some. There's uh, no, um, you know, much electricity. So, you know, the people are very resilient. And he's so joyous. And my main question, like people are really interested in, you know, what message do you have? My, my, so how did you survive <laughs> going through a country? It was colonized, a war, liberation, then deconstruction, and then the country being ripped apart. You know, so 
and he's very joyous. He lives in this house with 27 um, people, mostly children, his, his children. And when you ask him how many children, he'll say, oh, 20 children. It doesn't mean they're all his children, as the way we think, but that's how he thinks. So all my children, they're just here. You know, and everyone's got a job, and you know, someone's making the fire, someone's cooking, someone's getting the wood. So this interview, in talking about, asked her, what, how should we understand Mother Nature? And he says, I love to call her the creator. Humanity has forgotten where we come from. We actually come from the earth. This is the truth that has been forgotten. She is Mother Earth. She is everything. She is the giver of everything, everything that we know of. You're wearing warm clothes because it is cold. All these clothes from Mother Earth. Your body is from Mother Earth. When, it, when the body leaves the soul, the soul leaves the body, it goes back to Mother Earth. What comes from Mother Earth goes back to Mother Earth. I don't know where this idea of separating ourselves came from. I don't know the purpose of trying to separate humans from Mother Earth. The land is life. If we tamper with the tree of life, there won't be life on Earth. We are incapable of taking care of the land. Actually, the land now takes care of us in many forms and in many ways. But humans think we own the land. Since we own it, we think we can control it. This is what we think. This is what we believe. But this is wrong belief and a wrong thinking altogether. Just listen with your heart, close your eyes and think about this land we call Mother Earth. You will begin to see how big she is. So this is the message of the Kolgi, that we must listen back. It's not only a reclamation of our heart in this practice that we're doing, a reclamation of the fullness of our being, the freeing of our consciousness from these old stories, but it's a reclamation process that we're now being initiated into in our new story as we recreate a relationship to this mother that's nourishing us every single day, a realignment. So in this way, we start to, the Bodhisattva heart, is one that starts to also see that all things are resident in our collective awareness. We're, there's nothing outside of this one mind, this one heart. And therefore, if we really deepen into that reality, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, we're here to awaken from the illusion of our separation. This is now our curriculum. Because the old story is built on the separative consciousness you know, which has been so violent, so insensitive, so extractive, so dominating, so oppressive, left us lonely, left our heart bruised, left us decimated, left us teetering on the edge of a precipice. So the new story, this is here, this is a Kogi, it's a birthing a new story. We have to live a new, we have to create, co-create together a new story that we can live as this old story is dying. To heal what we can, stop what we can in terms of what's being destroyed, resist that destruction. 
And the more collectively we can do that, the more our consciousness aligns with Mother Earth, the more we hear the deeper intelligence of the living Dharma, then that will start to work through us. And we'll begin to know where we need to be, how we need to respond, what we need to do. We know that everything we do now has a consequence. It's not just the throwaway culture anymore. <laughs> it lands somewhere. <laughs> lands on someone. And now we know that it's coming back to us. So we have work to do. You know, this is this is uh, there's a core. There's a deep core. When I went to um, the um, five years ago, I think now the the big climate march in New York, and we did had a train, the climate train that went from Emeryville here in the Bay Area to New York. There were about two hundred of us on that train. We took over the whole train, and we had like fifty workshops on the train. Um, and before we got on the train, one of the local indigenous elders, who was part of the birthing of Idle No More, so activist movement here locally, she, we were talking to her and she said, we are the immune system of the planet rising. So what you feel in this time we're in, many people talk about the, what we're feeling, the terror, the, the rage, the overwhelm, the despair, the, the, the depth of the grief of the loss that we're experiencing. You know, it's, there's such grief. You see this being, these beings or these animals, you know, like just reading about the koala bears in the, Australia and the fires and the, the insects and, the, the, you know, this devastation the other beings that we've not really thought have equal rights here to be here with us on this planet. You know, that depth of that grief, all of these feelings that this is the immune system. We don't really want to feel this. We want to feel, but we need to feel, this is the feelings that will, when we work with mindfulness, you know, the very, the same practice we're doing, whether it's a small feeling or a very big feeling, it's the same practice whether it's a world system ending or the ending of a day. <laughs> it might be more intense, but it's the same practice. You know, what's happening now? Bring mindful attention, hold attention, wise reflection, transmute the suffering through the Four Noble Truths. These feelings become, will become the compost for our strength, for our clarity, if we can transmute them. And we can do that not only for ourselves in the bodhisattva way, we do that for the collective. It doesn't matter for the bodhisattva where the suffering comes from anymore. Who it comes from, what piece of history. And Kuan Yin is the, represents the heart that transmutes suffering. It's not just passive. There's an engagement, but it's not frightened of suffering doesn't fear, fear anymore. It has this tremendous, this heart has tremendous courage actually. All of our hearts. And it's one of the main transmissions of Ajahn Chah. It's like, you can do this. 
you can do this. We can do this. We humans, we can do this. And yet we feel we're so small and we get cowed by these fears and oppressions and resentments. And it's like, no, that's the old story. The new story is we're awakening into a fullness of being that has courage, that has strength, that is connected with a deep intelligence that we're hearing, that can feel that guidance. We are able to, you know, sometimes I think just forgive it all. I'm not saying there isn't restoration that needs to happen, acknowledgement that needs to happen, work that needs to happen. But in the heart, whatever we're holding, work it through, release it, give it back, give it up. If we can't do that, give it up. That's why we bow and we put our hands up. We're giving it up. It's too much. Give it up. So that this body, this being can be as free as possible to meet what we need to meet. Is this what we're practicing? We're practicing to be free. We're not practicing to become a good Buddhist, to be a nice person, though that's all good. You know, to be affirmed by everyone, <laughs> that's nice too. <laughs> We're practicing to be free. So we can respond freely, clearly, authentically, effectively. We have many examples of beings that live like that, that have lived like that, that are demonstrating that, that can inspire, that can encourage. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the great ones. I just think of my sweet grandmother. You know, she wasn't you know, a big bodhisattva in the way we might think of it, but to me she was a bodhisattva. She came from the east end of London, a very simple life. Never, you know, never had a car, never went on a foreign holiday anywhere. You know, but you could go home to my nan and you could say anything you'd done was terrible and she'd say, never mind dear, never mind ducks, never mind lovey, <laughs> sit down and have a cup of tea. She had such a sweet love. And I still feel her around, you know. Still feel her. Especially in times, moments, tricky moments. Oh, hi, Nan. <laughs> so when the center feels like it can't hold, then let us go through the dismemberment. Because that's what the journey of transformation is. And then we'll find a new center. The center is going to be us together. It's a collaborative journey now. All beings, we're in this together. This is the Noah's Ark. We're in it. In the stormy sea. And it's going to depend a lot on the state of our consciousness. What we can bring forth. And... We don't even begin to know how vast that can be. So to hold to the faith of that, hold to the faith of your own beings as we grow up out of these old, old places that keep us stuck and bound and tied up. Where you can take a deeper breath. 
can drink the beauty and the nectar of the world around us that Mother Nature feeds us with every single day as we gaze upon her wonders and recreate and reconnect with her invitation, I'm always here to receive you. I will receive your body back to me one day. Let every outbreath be offered back to her. Every in-breath nourish us from her. She will heal us. She will guide us. She will send us forth. This is from Baba Mandaza, Kedemwa, great sage, great being. Tell us about her, Baba, Mother Nature, Grandmother Earth. Well, we are important people, he says, because we are Mother Nature's vehicles created in her holy image. She sees you in all colors, but she created that color. She is that color of your body, that human body form, she is that. That's why she says, I want to see myself in you and I want you to see yourself in me. When I look at that tree, I must see Mother Nature. She is that great spirit, that lizard on the rock. She is that beautiful spirit, that hippo, that frog, that eagle, that star, that new moon, you know. She is all those things. Do we love her? She says, love me the way I love you people. She could crush us into nothingness, and she doesn't feel sadness, for she loses nothing. She's that powerful and unique. So tonight, when you go into your bed, look into that bed of yours. Those are the gifts from Mother Nature. Your beautiful bed came from her. Your beautiful blankets, they are gifts from her to you. That hair you are wearing, your hat, those are her gifts. I am who I am, she says. I am everything. I am peace. I am love. I am freedom. I am justice. I'm your future. I'm your beginning. And I am your end. This is what I see, Mama. Look at the gifts from her. She says, take anything you want, but respect what I give you. Mama, we have forgotten where we have come from. We have forgotten the message. We have forgotten the teaching. So we need to look back and say, to say to her, I want to come back home. <laughs>